Good evening. It's great to be here with y'all. It's, um, I think it's been several months since I was here last. Um, I remember sharing some time together when we pray, uh, preached, I don't know, maybe October of last year, was it? Yeah, yeah. So it's great to be back with y'all. Um, bring greetings again from uh, all the way from the island of Hawaii. So aloha to each and every single one of you. Um, tell you a little bit about myself so you get a little comfortable. My name is Jonathan Leonardo. At present, I live in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, and I am just on the road most of the year, preaching, traveling. Uh, have a ministry in Hawaii that we run called, uh, actually, it's the Love Reality Tour. And um, we've been doing that all over the Hawaiian Islands as well as North America. And we've come over to Australia. Uh, we're in New Zealand recently. And um, now it's a privilege to be here with y'all. And uh, yeah, that's enough about me. But I look forward to us diving in into the very real reality of the Father's love for us. The heart of what we actually try to proclaim is that first and foremost, we are children of the living God who are loved with an everlasting love. And that the confidence and confession of his love over our lives is the vitality that we move from. So that we stand in victory, working towards victory, accomplishing victory in his name because of what he has done. And so that our perspective of God and our perspective of Jesus Christ is one that is rooted in confidence first instead of anything other than confidence, right? And so we want to impart and encourage and uplift according to the Father's great love. And that's what we want to dive into tonight, if that's all right. Does anybody remember when I was here, I think in October, that we might have shared a little something about the prodigal son? And that's what we want to dive into again tonight, but we want to tell, uh, what is that? Do you guys have, did you guys have Paul Harvey here in Australia? No? Paul Harvey's like a really famous, I think, American radio personality, and he has this phrase that he would always use. He'd say, and now the rest of the story. So oftentimes you'll hear somebody say, and now the rest of the story, and referencing to Paul Harvey, and that's what we want to do tonight. We want to dive a little bit into the rest of the story. But before we get into that story, I want to tell you another story. All right, so we're going to do two stories. Is that all right? Cool. So I want to tell you a little bit about my sister. Um, I got the children here. You guys got siblings? Some of y'all have siblings? You got brothers and sisters? I have a sister, and um, probably around the age of, I had to be six or seven. I think I was about seven years old. Me and my sister had just moved with my parents, of course, from New York City. And we had moved from New York City on down to uh, Boston, Massachusetts. And we moved to Boston, Massachusetts, and you know that when you make a move, it costs a lot of money, and my parents didn't have a lot of it. So when it came time to have furniture in the home, they had to make certain decisions about what was most important first. And one of the things that was not on the list was a bed for my sister and myself. And so me and my sister had makeshift cots, sleeping bags, and the whole nine inside of a bedroom that we shared. Two-bedroom apartment, one for my parents, one for me and my sister. Oddly enough, my parents had a bed. Now that I think about it, this is the first time I've told this story a ton, and now I'm thinking about it, like, they always had a bed, all right? Me and my sister didn't. But anyway, they made it fun. They made it like a little, a, a, a little nook and playhouse, kind of like we have up here. And me and my sister spent the first several weeks in this apartment without beds. Finally, my father, one day, gathers me and my sister. It's like one of these meetings. He says, Kering Jonathan, come here, I have something to tell you. I said, yeah, what's that? 
we're going to get a bed. Fantastic. That's great. But see, I heard something in my father's voice. He said, we're going to get a bed. It's me and my sister. I was six years old, but I was sharp enough to know the difference between odds and even numbers. And see, math plays into this story because as my father says, we're going to get a bed, he then says, and you guys are going to vote for who gets it. Again, six years old, already figured out odds and evens. My sister, on the other hand, nine years old, I love her to death, love her, not so sharp. So, because <laughs> my, yeah, we're not live streaming this, are we? Uh, we are, yeah, she's going to come get me. So because, see, my sister hears that we're going to have this uh, selection for the bed, and my sister gets excited. She's like, yes, yes, I'm going to vote. All right. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking at my father like, this is a silly experiment, and she needs to do more math. All right? And so my father, being the, I don't know, maybe, I'm not a parent yet. I don't know what this is all about, but I know my dad always ran social experiments on me and my sister. And this is what this was, like one of these social experiments, like, let's see what the kids will do. Maybe it'll be like Hunger Games and they'll kill each other for this bed, right? I'm thinking this is what he thought. But anyway, he comes in and he's like, all right, we're going to vote. He has a, (laughs) he's got pieces of paper, right? And he has a hat. This is my father. And my father has these two pieces of paper. And he has this hat prepared, and then he also has theme music for this whole event, right? He has like a little radio, and he presses the button, and music comes on. I'm telling you, he's, he's a character, right? So he gives me and my sister a piece of paper, right? He's like, here you go. And I'm six years old. I can count in maths, but I can't really spell my name quite yet. Like, so I take my pen, and my trouble is trying to remember all eight letters of my name. My sister, on the other hand, gets her piece of paper, her pen, and she's super excited because she thinks that she has an opportunity to win this bed. Goes to her corner, and she's, and she's looking over her shoulder like somebody's coming, right? And her name is not that long, but maybe for the sake of the drama. Her name's getting. It's two syllables, right? It shouldn't take that long. But she writes her name, Crumples up her piece of paper. I'm on the other side. I've written my name. Crumple a piece of paper and come back to my father. And my father presses the snooze button on this radio. He's had it playing, right? And then he brings out the hat and has us put two pieces of paper inside the hat. You imagine how ridiculous this looks. All of a sudden, my father, two names in the hat, and he's shaking. It's like, oh, whose name is going to come up first, right? I'm like, well, it's going to be one of us, I'm sure. Right? Because again, one, two, and this is the problem with this whole experiment, two, right? And so he's shaking and he says, All right, the first name for whose bag? Takes out a piece of paper, and my sister is just in anticipation. She's like, Oh, I got it. It's going to be me. It's going to be me. It's going to be me. Please. All right? And again, Father, you're silly. You, arithmetic. But, right? We're just, we're, we're praying for both of you. Right. But then I'm I'm realizing in these moments, like these are my family members. You know, I can't do much about it. So my father takes out a piece of paper. He reads the first name and he says, the first name, first vote goes to getting. That's my sister's name. Getting. FYI, getting with an E, not an A. It's not Karen. It's Karen. You heard the difference? Right. Not Karen. Karen. She'd want me to say that. It's very important to her. (laughs) <laughs> so, takes out the name. The first one is getting. And my sister's excited. Yes. 
yes, yes. And then she says, this is the best part. I remember this vividly. I'm 36 now. This is 30 years ago, fresh like yesterday. My sister says, one more, just one more. And I'm thinking to myself, not only does she not understand mathematics, she also doesn't understand self-interest, right? <laughs> she doesn't understand how terrible it's been sleeping in this little bed. Our parents have tried to sell us like, it's, oh, it's fun, we're camping. I'm like, no, 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 we're poor. Let's be real, right? And so she's like, just one more. <laughs> okay. And my father's looking at her, and I think at this point he's also getting concerned, but he didn't let on. But I believe he knew right? in that moment. You math, right? He's like, okay, we got one more day. One more day. All right. And this little paper is just dancing around like that lowly person at the party. Like, one is the loneliest number, right? It's just alone, and finally my father rescues it from its solitude. He opens it up, and with a lot of drama, oh, and of course, I'm, I know because, anyway, you'll hear, you'll see why I know. But my sister's like, oh, please, let it be me. Please, let it be me. Please, please. And my father says, vote two goes to getting. My sister, all of a sudden, I'm going to say, yes, yes, I knew I could, yes. Yes! And she's celebrating, right? And I'm looking at her like, you don't realize what's going on. And my father at this point at the same time is looking at her like, oh, man, we, we need to pray for her. But my sister's going on. Oh, yes, yes, I won, I won. Finally, my father calls her back. He's like, get him, come here. I guess. Do you know what just happened? My sister goes, of course I do. I just won. <laughs> she said, get me my bed. My father looks at her and is like, no, 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 no. How many votes were there? Two. Getting, who did you vote for? And now my sister's looking at him like he's a dummy. She's like, of course me, right? He goes, yeah, but who do you think your brother voted for? And I think in that moment it popped up for my sister. You see, I love my sister. I love my sister. I mean, if I started to talk about how much I love my sister, I'd probably end up crying. My sister's the sort of girl that when she was seven years old and I was five and we were living in New York City and it was just about the time my parents were going to divorce and they were having a hard out fight in front of us on the day of my kindergarten graduation, my seven-year-old sister grabbed her five-year-old brother and ran 20 blocks in Queens, New York so that he wouldn't miss his kindergarten graduation. That's my sister. I love my sister. So when it came opportunity to who was going to get the bed, it wasn't a question. Even at six years old, it wasn't a question. I love my sister. So when that bed was rolled in and my sister's on the other side of the room and she's crying because she hasn't won the bed and she feels ashamed because she hasn't loved me in the same capacity that I demonstrated to her, in her mind, she's alienated from her brother and from her father. You hearing me? In her mind, she's alienated from her father and her brother. And not only her father and her brother, because by this time, mom has heard about it. And so getting at night is in the corner of the bed feeling alienated because she didn't love in the capacity that she should have loved. You see, I love my sister. And I'm laying in that bed, and as I hear my sister whimpering, going to bed, I say, getting. Getting, and my sister, prideful Dominican that she is, I don't want to talk to you, I don't want to talk to you. 
She rolls over. And for a moment, I think to myself, I didn't do this to you. You did this to yourself. You're the one who can't count. You're almost 10. Not my fault, right? But I didn't say all of that. I said, get him, get him. She finally rolls over. What? I said, get him. There's enough room on the bed for both of us. And my sister came over, and for the next two weeks, until my parents had saved up money for the next bed, her and I slept head to foot. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all remember that, that head to foot life? That's how, we, that's, how we, that's how we slept. Why? I love my sister. I love my sister. There's absolutely nothing that my sister could do to alienate me away from her. And see, there's a story of an older brother in the text that we're about to dive into, if only for a moment, that reveals a little something about who we are to our father. And what I want to do and establish this week is confidence in the father's love. And tonight we see this confidence is demonstrated in the heart of an older brother who would do anything and everything to bring a prodigal home. See, because the other side of the story that we don't hear about Luke 15, because that's where it's found. If you know the prodigal son story, it's found in Luke 15. And in Luke 15, we hear this story about a prodigal son who leaves home, takes his daddy's money, and spends it in wild and wasteful living. You've heard this version, right? We've talked about this. I think I preached it a few months ago. One of the things that sometimes we don't focus on in the story is that we always concentrate on the fact that he's prodigal, and sometimes we always forget that he's always son, right? So that always, although prodigal, This young man is always son. So how does the father see him? Does the father first identify him as prodigal or does the father identify him as something else? Father identifies him as son. And in that culture of that day, it would have been the expectation of the older brother to go and get the younger one and bring him home to justice. And so I could imagine that father and brother, now this isn't the story that Jesus told, but my imagination, if you allow it, that father and brother are in discussions about how to bring this young man home to justice. And the older brother says, I will do it. I will rise up and I will bring our son, your son, my brother, home to justice. Now, the sort of justice that was required, we'll see it here on uh, the screen. I think I might have ran through this when I was here. But again, this is worth establishing for the sake of the week. In Deuteronomy 18, I mean 21, beginning with verse 18, we'll see uh, uh, what it was that was the fate of the younger brother. Is that up there, Deuteronomy 18? If you have your Bibles, you got your phones maybe, or if you have the old school written text, Deuteronomy 21, 18. Deuteronomy 21, 18. No? 21:18. Here we go. Good. Again, I think this is something that we went through, but we're going to establish something today. If a man has a stubborn, rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elder of the cities of, of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. So this young man, the prodigal son, was to be brought to the city, to the gates where the elders were, right? And they shall say to the elders, this is the mother and the father with the son in tow, they say to the elders, this, our son, stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice. 
He is a glutton and a drunkard. So they, you hear, what, you hear what's going on? You bring the prodigal, the bear, they bring the son, and they indict him. They indict him in the presence of all these elders, and they indict him and say, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. Then, look at what's supposed to happen. All the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all of Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, this is, this is what happens to this young man. After this young man is stoned at the gates, you got this prodigal son, He's brought, he's a glutton and a drunkard. The mother and the father indict him. This, is, this would have been the scenario. The mother and the father indict him, and the elders of the city pick up stones. And I don't know if any of y'all been to the Middle East. They're not small. And they rock this dude's life stone by stone because he's a prodigal son. You with me? And if this man committed a crime punishable by death, look what's supposed to happen. And he is put to death, you will hang him on a tree. And his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. So watch, if you can see this in your mind's eye. Mom and dad got this knuckle-headed kid that won't do what he's supposed to do. Mom and dad are exasperated with him. And they are told they're supposed to grab him, take him to the elders, and the elders are supposed to do their dirty work. Rock by rock by rock. So this is the scenario of what should happen with this prodigal son story that we're familiar with that Jesus says in Luke 15. See, this prodigal son, he's all the way out with the pigs. You remember the story, how it goes? takes his father's inheritance, goes out, loses it in wild and wasteful living, and finds himself feeding pigs. As he finds himself feeding pigs, he knows what his end should be. He knows that if he were to return home, the fate that awaits him is the fate of somebody who will get rocked stone by stone. But if you allow me, this imaginative foray or exploration, I would suggest to you that this prodigal son has, in my telling, a faithful older brother. And this faithful older brother comes and finds his younger brother in the midst of the pigs. Now, does the older brother come with stones? Does the older brother come with the judgment of the elders? Or does the older brother come in a different spirit? What I want to suggest and what we want to establish this week is that this older brother comes in a different spirit because he is portraying the very heart of the father. And the heart of the father is not a heart that seeks to condemn his prodigal children. The heart of the father is not one that wants to exact vengeance and justice. And the heart of the father is not one who wants to play sociological tricks by putting names in their hat and making them dance and making us be suspenseful of what our fate will be. See, sometimes we confuse our earthly parents with the heavenly parent, and it all gets muddled, man. 
I don't know about y'all. I don't know where y'all are at, right? but I had that experience where I confused my earthly father with my heavenly father because, see, it was shortly there after that story with the whole bed and my sister that my daddy decided that he would tuck tail and run. And he actually never lived in that apartment with us precisely because he wasn't the sort of father that stayed committed to his duties as father. See, but this is not the heart of the father that I'm saying in this story. Again, this is the prodigal son story. If you remember the prodigal son, the prodigal son is in the midst of the pigs, and this older brother would have had to have come to get him, but in getting him, he would have to display the father's heart. And again, my imagination. But what it would have been is that this young man is in the midst of the pigs, in the midst of his folly, in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his condemnation, and he sees his older brother. And when he sees his older brother, he knows that older brother is coming to get him, to take him to the elders, to peg him stone by stone. And so you could imagine maybe the fear, the trepidation, the, 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 yeah, just, I'd be flat out scared. But as older brother approaches, older brother does not approach with condemnation in his voice or with judgment in his eyes, but he looks at him and says, Son, child of your father, rise up, for your father calls you home. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you don't deserve any sort of favor, and somebody gives it to you, and you're just unbelieving. I don't know if you've ever been there. I was actually having dinner with my buddy Ryan tonight. My buddy Ryan's in the back over there. Now that I called him out, he's probably going to try to hide a little bit. But um, Ryan was telling me a story of him being, uh, Ryan, what was it? You were, you were paying groceries for your groceries. He was paying for his groceries. Ryan was paying for his groceries. And there was a, a lady there while he was paying that she had forgotten her wallet or some sort of scenario where she had all these groceries and she um, wasn't able to pay for them because she didn't have means to pay, right? And now Ryan's feeling bad and Ryan's a good hearted dude. Gospel got a hold of him, right? And... Uh, Ryan offers to pay for the lady's groceries in that moment. And the lady's, you know, what, what do you do when somebody offers that grand gesture? The first impulse is, no, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. You know, you do that thing, but in your mind, you're hoping that they'll say, no, 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 I insist, so that then you could take it, but then you feel good because you already said no, so you don't look impolite, but then you get this thing for free. You're like, all right, thanks, dog, right? But no, no, see, Ryan's like, oh, let me pay for you. And what does the woman say? She says, no, 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 right? Ryan insists, because that's how the game is played, right? Ryan insists, but what does the lady say? She says, no, 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 but Ryan insists, but what does the lady say? No, 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 until the lady refuses his graciousness because she can't accept the free gift in her life. And so she actually put all her grocery back, right? So imagine he's, saying, he's, he's there waiting for the judgment from older brother, and older brother is telling him, no, 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 rise up and go home, your father calls you home. <laughs> Can I just accept this? No, no, it's too good to be true because the law says I should be stoned. Everybody says that if I go back home, I'm going to get rocked stone by stone. No, no, I can't just. But what does older brother say? Get up and go home. And younger brother's like, I can't. I, I did this thing to dad and I made you look a fool and I, I, I can't just get up and go home. But what does older brother insist on? Get up and go home. 
Now, the question has to be, why? Why are you so insistent that I could just get up and go home? Ha. This is where it gets good. Older brother says, listen here. Sometimes you got you to get people, listen, listen, listen. Listen here. You can rise up and go home because your father loves you. Period. Your father loves you, period. How much time I got? It's 829. Can I ask your permission for nine minutes? Nine minutes, all right? Okay. Let me just deviate real quick. There's a story in Genesis 15. And the story goes like this. Abraham comes out. And he's afraid that he's not going to have the offspring that God has promised him. I don't know if you know the story, but the story goes that Abraham has been called out by God, and God has promised that he's going to give him offspring. And one day, finally, Abraham is fearful because he doesn't have a baby. And God says, no, 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 I'm going to provide it for you. And, God, and, and Abraham's like, how will I know? And God says this, listen, Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take all these animals and he, he, he names five animals, I think it is, like a, a heifer, a goats, turtle doves, and a couple other ones. And this is what happens. He says, I want you to rip them apart and have their open carcasses face one another. Maybe you've heard this. But have their open carcasses, carcasses face one another, uh, one another. This is Genesis 15. And let the blood flow and run down. Why are they doing this? Well, see, this is a, a symbol of a contract that you would make in those days. And so what you would do if you were making a contract with somebody is that you would take these animals, rip them apart, and you would have their open carcasses face one another, and the blood would flow downhill, hopefully. And then those who were making a contract would take off their sandals, and then they would walk in the midst of the blood, and they would say something like this. They would say, may this happen to me also if I don't complete my end of the bargain. So again, my buddy Ryan. Sorry, Ryan, you're just here. So say him and his wife, Julia, they have a baby and they have a beautiful daughter. And say I, with my future wife, have a beautiful son and one day we decide, oh man, we'd love our kids to get married. All right? Now this is us then. And if I want our kids to get married, me and Ryan would have to enter into a contract. And you know what Ryan and I would have to do? We'd have to chop up some animals, have their carcasses face one another, let the blood flow, take off our sandals, walk through that walk, commit our children to one another, and then say something like, if this covenant ever is broken, may we also be ripped apart in the same way these animals have been ripped apart. You see this? This is the way this agreement would have happened. We're never going to do that, Ryan. All right? You're good. And so the story is told that as Abraham is standing there, two lights... Two lights walk through this blood walk, signifying two divine entities that come into agreement with one another while Abraham is standing watching. You see this? So two divine entities come into agreement while Abraham is standing watching. And if we had time to do the Bible study, we demonstrate that these two lights represent father and son. You can read Isaiah 42. Check it out for yourself. But father and son walk through this blood walk and they declare that they will keep a covenant on behalf of the children of Abraham precisely because they love them and want to see them brought into the family. So father and son 
will allow themselves to be ripped apart so that those who are prodigal can be grafted back in. Father and son will allow themselves to be ripped apart so that those who are prodigal can get grafted back in. And so we find ourselves again with prodigal son and older brother telling him, rise up and go. And maybe prodigal son finally gets the energy and the courage to rise up and go. And as he's walking, and he's walking with older brother, it begins to dawn on him, man, I'm walking maybe to my certain death. What about the requirement of this punishment that should be upon somebody? And it's there where older brother reveals the plan to younger brother. And he says, listen here, kid brother. It's true. There are stones with your name on them. And after they kill you, there's a tree that they're going to hang you on. But see, me and father, because of the love that we have for you, have decided that I will allow the stones to fall on me. And I will have my body hung on a tree so that you might know precisely how much value and worth you have to both your father and myself. And so older brother, by the name of Jesus, allows himself to be stoned with all the stones that should have been ours and allows himself to be hung on a tree that should have been ours, not just simply to get sin up off of us, not just simply to make the bad good, but to reveal the worth and the value that each and every single one of us have to our Father simply because we are his beloved. I'm laying there in that bed, comfortable. You understand this? I've won the thing. I'm laying in that bed just chilling. My sister's over on the other side. And do you think I could abide the peace in that room while I knew that my sister was suffering in her body? No, I couldn't. Six years old, and I still remember this. I couldn't abide it. Hurt me from the inside out. So I would rather have my sister come into the bed and be uncomfortable than to her to be outside of the fold. How much more our father would rather have his comfortable, be his comfortable being, his unified being, be completely ripped apart. Think about this. How deep is the intimacy between father and son. They've known each other since eternity, times infinity, and we don't even get to the beginning of what they are. And that on the cross, Jesus Christ is cut off in that second phase of his six hours, in those last three hours where the whole thing gets dark and nobody sees what's actually happening. This pieces of scripture that let us know that Jesus is actually being ripped apart. Read Psalm 22 so you can hear this description. He's being ripped apart from the inside out. My father, my father, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this man is allowing himself to have the very lifeblood of his being that has been that for all of eternity to be ripped out of him so that you and I can actually see a demonstration of the great value that we have in the eyes of this father and this older brother. For no other reason than that we are loved. And I remember I, I put this challenge out there back in, I think, was it October when I was here? Was it October? I think it was October. I put this challenge out there. 
that because of this great love that we have, there are some very serious and final consequences to this manifestation of this father and this older brother's love. And I want to draw your attention to it as I finish here. Got two minutes. I'm going to draw your attention to this, hopefully trouble you a little bit, and then get off the stage. All right? I want to take you to Romans 6. If you have a Bible there, go to Romans 6 so you can see the consequence of this older brother and father's love for us. Romans 6. We'll be in Romans 6. This is a, yeah, Romans 6. And tomorrow, I promise, we're going to do some drawings. There's a whiteboard over there that I'm going to pull out. We're going to explain some things. We're going to explain this, what I'm about to, we're going to share. You there with me, Romans 6? I'll be reading from verse 1 on, if that's all right. Just read a couple of things, drop this final point. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't, don't go back, just one, if that's all right. Verse 2. Go to verse 2. Church, Kellyville, my people, do you see this language right here where they say, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know that the finality of what the older brother has done for us is that he's actually liberated us from the dominion of the foolishness that we used to be stuck in? Think about my sister. My sister's on the other side of the room, and when I tell her, hey, come on the bed, what have I liberated her from? I've liberated her from her uncomfortability, and I've also liberated her from this idea in her mind that she's somehow alienated from her family. And by actually grafting her into my bed, I have freed her from the alienation that is both mentally and physically. Now, the physical one is absolutely certain, but the mental one is one that she has to accept because she's actually laying in the bed. You follow me? In that same way, you and I, because of what the older brother has done for us, have to be able to declare that we are actually dead to sin and liberated to have a place in the father's house. And in the father's house, there is no mark of the former ignorance. There is only the manifestation of the liberty and and the fullness of his love that he has actually freed us with. If you can, go to verse uh, six, uh, 10, 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11. For the sake of time, I'm going to cut it short here, and we'll be done. Look what the older brother has done. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. When that older brother came in, liberated us from the pigsty, and let himself be stoned for our sake, was hung on a tree for our sake, he actually died to sin. Think about that phrase for a second. You and I, when we die, we die to life because no longer do we participate in life. There's life and then there's us. Right? Jesus Christ did not die to life. The older brother dies to sin by laying down his life. And in dying to sin, he spoils the power of sin so that you and I could stand and live in victory because he has ushered us into the fullness of the Father's home. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. My sister, on the other side of this room, when I invited her to take part in my bed, she had to think herself grafted back into the family, no longer alienated because of her brother's love towards her. 
in that same way, you and I have the privilege to consider ourselves absolutely dead to sin, free from sin, and alive to God because of what our older brother has done in each and every single one of our lives. And the reason that you and I at times don't walk in the power of what the older brother has done is not because we're still assailed by sin, but because we're assailed by the unbelief of the complete work of what the older brother has done. I said this back in October. The problem in the New Testament church is not sin. The older brother has solved that. The problem in the New Testament church is unbelief, that what the older brother did is actually enough. And so when we turn and have this mentality that what the older brother did was just present us to the father so that we could behave our way back in, we're actually bringing slavery into the house, not realizing that we're sons behaving like servants. But if we receive the fullness of what the older brother has done, we can shed off the old alienation. We can shed off the old mentality, turn and walk into the liberty of who the father says we are, precisely because his love has declared it over us. You are not slaves, you are not servants, you are not prodigal. You are my children, beloved, free, standing in liberty with the manifestation of the Spirit of God all over you so that you can stand and sing and rejoice and manifest his fullness. I think Luke says it like this, uh, let your light so shine before men so that they might see your good works and Praise your Father in heaven, right? We're liberated for this cause. So I want to leave that there for tonight, if that's all right. We have an older brother who has come, liberated us. He's absorbed this in his body, allowed himself to be stoned and killed so that you and I could stand in freedom. And the reason we all stand in freedom is because the Father sent him. The Father sent him. It's the Father's love that has done this for you. God himself loves you. Let's not get trapped in this phrase where like, well, I'm so thankful that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. No, when God looks at you, he sees you. And he's pleased. And he's proud. And he's not disappointed. That's why he sent his only son to manifest his love on those that are his beloved. Let that confidence rise that our older brother did this because the father loved us. Our older brother did this because the father loved us. And if the father loves us, hey, hey, amen. For the sake of time, we're going to finish it here. Let's just say a quick word of prayer. And I invite y'all back. We're going to dive into some of these themes a little deeper. And, uh, yeah, we'll draw some things on the board and hopefully have a good time. God in heaven, we thank you so much for a message of freedom and declaration that our older brother has come and liberated us from the foolishness of our former ignorance that he has absorbed in his body, which should have been ours, that he let himself be ripped apart so that we might be grafted in. Father, we thank you for this love, and I pray that we might stand in the fullness of this love, that this week we might be able to dive into the depths of this love and that we might come out on the other side completely washed clean from all of the backwards thinking that would keep us from completely standing in the confidence and the truth of who you say we are. Because if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. 
thank you for this liberty. And we pray this in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.